The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and the disciples went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is the greatest? LeBron or Jordan? Jordan, okay, all right. Edison or Tesla, what do you think? At the first service, they were like, Edison, (laughs) right away. All right, what about Hendrix or Clapton? I'm hearing mixed reviews here. So at the early service, it was loud and clear. They said Hendrix, and I reminded them that there was a journalist that approached Jimi Hendrix, and they asked him, how does it feel to be the greatest guitarist of all time? And he said, I don't know. Ask Phil Keggy. Phil Keggy was uh, a guitarist with Cream, uh, who played. So he played with Eric Clapton. So uh, that's his. That's his answer. It's an academic question, right? These these things. What you talk about over the lunch break, over the dinner table, uh, you chat about it, you argue about it, kind of in a fun way, right? And it's a fun thing until it gets personal, right? When it goes from being, you know, somebody out there to somebody in your household. Who is the most beloved grandchild? Who is mom or dad's favorite? Who is the best coworker? Right? The one most worthy of the promotion. Those questions are a little harder to answer. Who is the greatest? And how do you know? That's the argument that the disciples were having on the road in our gospel lesson today. They were jockeying for positions of power. See, they were headed with Jesus toward Jerusalem, and their understanding was when they got there, Jesus who they knew to be Messiah, Lord, and King, was going to become King of Israel. He was going to take his rightful position as Lord 
kick out the Romans and have the power and honor that was due the Messiah. And they, as his disciples, well, they'd have a share in that glory. Who would have the honor of sitting at Jesus' right hand? Who would be the one that everybody else would be seeking to get along with so that they could have an end to the power that Jesus had? They lived in what biblical scholars call a patron-client culture. Patrons were those with the power, with the wealth, And they would share it with their clients. They would give them jobs, provide for their needs, show them favor in various ways. And the clients, well, they were the ones who were giving honor and giving money and trying to give the ones who were their patrons such honor and glory that they might become a client and receive some of that gift back. An individual would be simultaneously a patron and a client. A patron to those who were below them in the social hierarchy and a client of those who were above. Only the emperor stood at the heap, the pile of the pile there. He was at the top and he was patron to all below him. So as they approached Jerusalem and considered all of this, they argued among themselves, who is the greatest? For whom are we going to be working? Whose favor do we need to be seeking? Who should we be trying to impress? And of course, each one of them, to a man, thought that I'm the guy. (laughs) Everybody ought to be working to impress me. Jesus loves me most, don't you see? And that was the way that they argued. Hearing the argument, Jesus asked them what they were going on about. And then they all got quiet. Because they knew this wasn't the kind of conversation they were supposed to be having. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. To illustrate the point, he took a small child and he placed it in their midst. And, you know, when we think of small children, we think, oh, this innocent child, so precious. But Jesus wasn't bringing the child to illustrate anything regarding their innocence. Uh, You know, we can think of children as kind of uh, being, uh, you know, uh, beyond the kind of avarice that we have. But if you've ever been to a playground (laughs) recently, you'll see that children are all about who's top dog. Who gets to stand at the top of the playground, right? Who gets to call the shots? No, when Jesus took the small child into their midst, it wasn't to say that there was something particular about children as opposed to adults that that they should try to emulate. A small child is, in the weighty matters of this world, even today, insignificant. 
Nobody consults children over national policies. In the grand scheme of things, a child is powerless. And so it was then. Maybe even more so. Children literally didn't even count in their culture. You might remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000, how the gospel writers will say uh, there were 5,000 that day besides women and children. 5,000 men, that's who we bothered to count. And then there were all of these women and children. Who knows how many people were actually there, but they ate too. We didn't bother counting them. Children didn't count. But Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Jesus says that in serving those whom the culture didn't even count, the disciples are serving him. And in serving him, they're serving his father in heaven. They're serving God. And in an argument over who is the greatest, God wins every time, don't you know? (laughs) The disciples ought to have been seeking how to serve God and their neighbor. Instead of arguing about which of the disciples was the greatest, Jesus instructed his disciples, if you're going to serve God, you can start with serving the least, the ones that society didn't even bother counting. Jesus says, you want to be great? Spend an hour with a small child. You want to be first? Visit with a homebound member of the congregation. You want to be excellent? Hang out with someone with a mental or physical disability. You probably won't receive any accolades for it. Nobody's going to put you in the paper for that. You won't get nominated for the Nobel Prize you will likely be stretched well beyond your comfort zone and run into all kinds of communication issues. Have you played a game with a small child recently? One that they invented? (laughs) Good luck trying to follow the rules from start to finish. They change. (laughs) Have you sat and had a conversation with somebody suffering with dementia? And you try to follow them down the course of the conversation. Have you sat with somebody with a mental disability and learn the simplicity of being? In doing so, you will be serving God. And you might even catch a glimpse of Christ as you look into their eyes. As the Gospel of Mark continues, it's clear that the disciples just didn't get it. That the words of Jesus went in one ear and right out the other. 
You'll hear in gospel stories that follow after this one how the disciples are still jockeying for their positions of power. You can almost watch the disciples as they say, you want us to do what? Standing around, scratching their heads, saying, but it doesn't get us anywhere. What's in it for me? I wonder if Jesus just shook his head at the disciples. For despite all of the times that he was telling them why he had come, what he was about in his ministry, they just didn't get it. And it's not like Jesus was being unclear. We just heard last week that he said quite openly that he came to suffer, to die, and to rise again. Elsewhere, he said that he came to give his life a ransom for many, a ransom for sinners, sinners like you and me. Sinners who are deeply concerned about receiving honor long before we start thinking about how and to whom we should show honor. Sinners who will argue tooth and nail in an argument, in an attempt to try to prove that we're the top dog. Sinners who want to be recognized as the MVP the VIP that we know that we are, and all of this before we have our tombstones reading RIP. The one who is first of all, who is greatest of all, who is worthy of all honor and glory and praise came to give his life for sinners. To die. That sinners, unworthy of his love, would be made worthy of sharing in his glory. Through his death. Through grace. This same Jesus, crucified and risen, is here this morning. We worship him as Lord and Messiah as God himself, and all of this is good that we do this. But he comes among us, even as he did then, a servant. He comes as the host of this meal. And he places into our hands as we come to his table, to the altar, the gift of himself. He places himself into human hands once more in bread and wine, his very body and blood for you, for the forgiveness of sins and life in his name. Whatever position of honor you hold in your relationships, in your family, in your workplace, and in your community, whatever that position of honor is, when you come forward toward the altar, all of that is irrelevant. For we all approach the altar as did the centurion who sought Jesus' help for his beloved servant, saying, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, 
but only speak the word and my soul shall be healed. By Jesus' grace and not by our deserving, we receive what we seek by faith. The medicine of immortality and strength for the living of these days. And whatever position of humility you bear in your relationships, in your household, in your family, in your workplace or community, even if you're the lowest in the ranking, when you come forward to our Lord's altar, you come by his grace as a child of God. You come as a co-heir with Christ Jesus. You come as one who counts in God's eyes. One whom he sees and knows and calls by name. As we leave this place then, we leave with Christ present in our lives, with eyes opened by faith to see those in our communities, even in our families whom others don't see, to see them and also to spend time with them. We leave with hearts opened by faith to reach out and serve to let them know that we see them, that God sees them, that he loves them, that he died for them, that they count in his eyes, that they have an inestimable value. For Jesus gave his life for them. When we see those whom this world overlooks and leaves out, The Holy Spirit moves in us to serve them, even as Jesus serves. And moreover, we receive the special gift by faith that as we serve them, we have the honor of knowing that we serve Christ himself and God, our Father in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.